Good morning, everyone. Great to be able to uh, be with you this morning on this uh, beautiful day and to be outside and enjoy God's creation is uh, a real pleasure and a treat. And uh, just looking forward, as always, to opening God's Word with you guys. And as always, I can only share with you what the Lord has been sharing with me. And so that's where we're going to go. Um, perhaps I'll just open with a word of prayer once more, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to worship you, to know you as the Lord of life. And uh, again, I just pray that as we take this time, that we would just calm our hearts and once again, just be before the audience of one, that all the many distractions of the day, the week, um, that they would set aside and that we might just have our hearts and minds set before you and you alone. And just pray that by your spirit, you would have your way within us. Again, anything not of you, may it go in one ear and out the other. But I pray, as always, those things from you, that they would stick to us, that they would challenge us, and that they would force us to go deep and uh, allow your seeds of righteousness to come in and uh, bear the fruit of your glory. And so I thank you this morning that in your word, we always find both challenges and encouragement according to your hope and your goodwill. And so I pray this morning, again, as we open your word, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would speak, and that would hear you both loudly and clearly as our hearts are bowed low before you. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, begin this morning, I want to start by reading John and chapter 7, familiar verses, verse 37. And as always, this is going to be a springboard that is going to have us running through the book of Numbers, Ezekiel, and a number of other strange places. Uh, the small hamster up here that runs in the wheel gets lost. I pray that the Lord will... Uh, Keep you with me as uh, my mind just wild and all over the place. If you can follow this bowl of spaghetti, God will be at work this morning. But let's try. Verse 37 of John 7 says this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to pause there because we're going to spring from this uh, point and place. The last time that I was with you, we were talking about times in which God decides to toss us on our butts and we leave butt prints in the sand. And we were looking at the difference between uh, punishment and discipline. Punishment, again, a consequence. And while discipline might have punishment involved, discipline is an action for the purpose of correction, changing one's actions, changing one's mind. And I always feel like the Lord is taking us places. And so as we build from that point, I want to talk a little bit about that word punishment, because often in life it can feel like we are being punished or are having to, and if this makes any sense this morning, have to, to drink the bathwater of the generation before us. And, and if we tie into our verse this morning, that our invitation to Christ, I just want to 
highlight a time in which as we were traveling across Canada as a family, we stopped in Banff and this beautiful waterfall was flowing over a cliff's edge. And it was one of those moments where it was picturesque, the mountains were before us, and I felt a great opportunity to, to take a swig of pure spring water that doesn't find itself in a bottle and, and have a sip. The funny thing was, we couldn't see over the cliff's edge where the water was coming from. And we left that day with me always wondering, I wonder what was up there, right? I drank, it tasted good in the moment, but we walked away on that hike. And I always wondered, because it was such an odd squared off cliff and a plateau, I thought, what's up there? And, and I left with that buggy, still bugs me to this day, because I drank, but what if, right? Imagine if we had gone up on that hike and found a spot where there was a couple hikers uh, deciding to have a bath, right? And without knowing, here I am drinking someone's bath water, right? Or uh, a bear uh, having a favorite spot to go to the bathroom. This is the problem when you have a farmer uh, speaking to you. It always comes back to animals and bowel movements somehow. But listen, what if there was a bear's bathroom break right there and here I'm drinking, Well, we can go through life sometimes, and you'll see how this ties in, drinking other people's bathwater. Here's the take home this morning that I hope we leave with. Jesus always invites us to go upstream, upstream. You can imagine after finding a group of people bathing and having drunk their bathwater, the bad taste it would have left in your mouth. And now from that moment on, after having poured out your water jug that you had collected, every bend you'd go, you think it's safe to drink now? You'd go, no, maybe we need to go a little further. And I wouldn't rest until you got right to that point in place where you saw the water coming out, right? Jesus invites us today to always go upstream to the source. Now, as we move on, I'm going to turn to numbers in chapter 14. We're going to read a number of places this morning. I've noted them down for time's sake. You can uh, keep up with me. But listen to this, because there's times in life where it feels like not only are we being forced to drink someone else's bath water that they've been bathing in, but we're being punished for other people's sin. In Numbers 14 verse 13, it says, Moses said to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them. They will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face. And your cloud stays over them, that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who've heard this report about you will say, the Lord is not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you've declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Pause there for a moment. Because as we read, Moses is speaking to the Lord a moment in which after they have worshipped the calf 
at Mount Sinai. God is ready to destroy this people. And yet Moses is standing in the gap and he's saying, no, Lord, remember your promise. Remember your glory. And he prays according to God's oath and God's character. But he goes on and says this, May the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you've pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Listen, there was a saying in Israel, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? Imagine if you've ever had that feeling eating sour grapes, that the fathers have eaten something and that awful feeling in your mouth is being experienced by the kids. And if you were to read the New International Version, listen, it said this, God is faithful while loving and able to forgive. It said, punishing to the third and fourth generation, the children for the father's sin. What's interesting here is this, that only the New International Version has chosen to use that word punish. And I want to put it to you this morning that God's word does not say that he is going to punish the third and fourth generation. In fact, Every other major translation uses another word. And here's what it says in Numbers 14, verse 18. Listen carefully. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Here's the difference, everyone. Listen. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. He says it again in Exodus 20. Listen, you shall not worship them or serve them. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. These are the verses when we read in Psalm 79, when, when the psalmist cries out, do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. I don't know if you've been there, but maybe there's times in which you feel you've suffered for someone else's sin. I feel like our children, if they have anything, it's this, a front row seat to see our brokenness. And we regret when they suffer for our sin and selfishness. Just as we look, and it's interesting how often, and we won't call it fighting because we're Christians, we'll call it intense fellowship. How quickly, when we have times of intense fellowship in our marriage, you'll start to hear the words, why are you acting like your mother or father, (laughs) right? Why have you brought that baggage into this? This is a new beginning. And yet we can feel all around us. What does that mean? Not not that you're going to be punished, but it tells us that God is going to visit the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Well, listen, the scripture is very clear of this. Deuteronomy 24. And again, I've noted these 
so that we can make it where we need to be this morning, and I hope it will come clear. Listen to what is written for us in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. That's comforting, isn't it? But if there is any comfort, it's this. And this is where we're going this morning. And if you would like to turn with me, it's Ezekiel 18. And this is where we're grabbing what the Lord has for us today. As I live, Ezekiel 18 verse 3, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. What's the proverb? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It's over. Why? He says this, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die, but if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during menstrual period, yep, it says that too, verse 7, If a man does not oppress anyone, but restores the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. But if he does not lend money with interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice, if he walks in my statutes, my ordinances, so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood, who does any of these things to a brother. Though he himself does not do any of these things, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrine, he defiles his neighbor wife, he oppresses the poor, he commits robbery, does not restore a pledge. On it goes. He commits all these abominations. Surely he will be put to death. Listen, he's saying, listen, If one man is righteous and another wicked, that man will be held accountable for his wickedness. But listen to this. Now the wicked, we're now into the third generation. Now this wicked man, righteous father, wicked son. And now he has a son. Now behold, verse 14, hang on to this verse. Behold, he has a son who's observed all his father's sins, which he committed, and observing does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry, covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand he, uh, sorry, keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances, walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, did not want uh, what was good among his people. He will die. Yet you say, verse 19, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity when the son has practiced justice and observed all my statutes? You see, what he says in Ezekiel is this. Today, you're accountable for what 
you have done. But I want you to notice something in verse 14. Something important is this. Behold the son who has observed all his father's sins. You see, there's something there where as we grow and live, we are put in a position where we have observed. And it's interesting to look back at Scripture, how sins seem to carry on and carry forward. Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember when Abraham lied about Sarai, saying, she is my sister? Half-truth, that's a little awkward. (laughs) Half-truth. But he lied, fearing that he would be put to death because of her beauty. And not only did Abraham lie, he did it again a second time to save his own backside. God was big enough to give him a land of promise, but not big enough to save him from the consequences of having a beautiful wife in a foreign land. And so he trusted his lie. Interestingly enough, read on, and the promised child, Isaac, lies to save himself because his wife was so beautiful. Read on into the next generation, and Jacob deceives and lies and says what? I am Esau. Give me the blessing. And if you want any note into the genetics of this family, remember he put goat skins on his arms and when his father felt them, he said, this is Esau. He was as hairy as a goat. And he put on his garments. He smelt like a barn. What a guy. What carried forward? They lied. And Jacob himself carried the name deceiver, heel grabber, or supplanter. As we carry on, not just lying, deceiving, David himself lied when he stole Bathsheba from Uriah. But it wasn't just the sin of lying. There was a sexual sin. He took her and committed adultery with her. Solomon would go on and he would carry forward and he would multiply his wives. When David would suffer the consequence of his sins, the prophet came to him and said, I am about to bring disaster on your house right before your eyes because you have taken Uriah's wife. I will take your wives, hand them over to your companion and he will have relations with your wives in broad daylight. Do you know what? His own son took David's concubines at the end of his days and put a tent on a rooftop in order to proclaim, I control my father's possessions. Those same sins seem to seep on forward through it all. But here's what's important this morning. As we observe the sins of our forefathers, today, You're not going to be punished for what they have done. But the Lord may visit you. What an important word. Why? He may visit you because what you have seen go so utterly wrong, experienced the depth and the depravity. Today, by his grace and his glory, he is going to give you an opportunity to fix what should never have been to get right what had gone wrong, to do well what others had done what they should not have done. 
Today, he may visit you. Pay special attention because you know, you've seen it, you've experienced it. And now before the Lord, by his grace, you have an opportunity to do what they did not do. I love reading the book of the Kings. Listen to this, because again and again, we read these words. Asa did was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Again, we read in in 1 Kings 22, he served and worshiped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel to anger just as his father had done. We read again in Kings 14, verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. Notice something? You can go back, and as you read those kings, each king was credited as having done either what their fathers did before them, or what? Having walked away. Asa himself, it actually tells us that when he heard the word of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 15, that he got all the people together. He took courage, removed the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. He tore down the Asherah poles. It tells us in verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord and that whoever would not seek the Lord of God of Israel should be put to death. Moreover, it tells us that he made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice shouting with trumpets and with horns. All Judah rejoiced for they had an oath sworn with their whole heart to serve him earnestly. And it says Asa removed Maka, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it and burned it at the brook of Kidron. You see, their actions were never defined nor dictated by their forefathers. Because every one of them had an opportunity before the Lord to do right where others had done wrong. And I wonder today, when it says this, to the third and fourth generation, he will Visit the iniquity. I'm wondering today, what are the sins today that God may be paying special attention to? Not to punish you, but for you to find victory where others failed. Man, we talk about our great forefathers of faith and we forget just how much failure and folly they passed down. The liars the corrupt, the swindlers, and yet all came to a God able to take the weak and make them strong, to take the sinful, the dirty, and wash them clean. And I wonder today, what are those areas in our lives where God is paying special attention? Because today, He's giving you an opportunity where your forefathers, mothers may have failed to walk in righteousness. You see, today, and I have a great friend, and he said this the other day, talking about going upstream. It can easy to grow complacent or to make excuses. And he said to me the other day, and this is what 
spawned some of these thoughts and feelings today. He said, what excuse do I have? And you're going to hear his lineage here. And he's a, a, a crude man who once drove a tugboat up and down the, the, the seas. He said, what, what excuse do I have today? Because a drunken Swede was peeing in the stream ahead of me. Here's the invitation. Your path today is not defined by who's bathing in the waters before you. Why? Because today the invitation, go upstream. Go upstream. You don't have to drink their water. You can go upstream to the source of life. And today, you feel unloved? You can love. Why? Because your source is not in that pool. You go to the source of love and you can give out of the love that unconditionally God gives you. You can go and drink from what God has given. What an invitation to not dwell or sit or seep in that which has come before, but to go beyond. I think of people who've allowed their circumstances. And there's two things that can happen today. You can allow your circumstances to make you bitter and look back and make excuses, or they can drive you to become better. We have the privilege of knowing a woman who was dropped off at an abortion clinic and told to take care of a situation that had come about, as you may understand. And when she chose not to, and I believe the words were, have an abortion or I'll never speak to you again, and they went on and never spoke to them again anyway. You think about the pain and the hurt and a family that would not accept. And you can imagine the bitterness of sitting and soaking in that stream Unfair, hurt, rejected, shame. In this instant, this person chose not to just simply grow bitter, but to go deeper and get better. And what's astounding to me is that where circumstances could have driven them to a a difficult place, a blaming place, They let their circumstance, while having given the child up for adoption, taking those hurts, taking those hardships, and actually waging forward a life in which they would then find a path where they would, from that day forward, fight for children being adopted. Find a path standing up in the court system for foster kids who didn't have a voice or someone to be there to defend them. Someone who would later on get the Order of Canada because of the contribution to society in that context. Isn't that amazing? They didn't just drink the water they were given. They didn't just choose to go bitter. They got better. Great friend of mine. Generation after generation of alcoholism in their family. He said, my dad was the last. I said, what stopped it? He said, a mom who said, if that stuff comes in our house, I'm going to kill you. 
said, this is the last generation. We've seen the damage. We've seen what it's done. And now we're going to live different. That's what Jesus does. And for time's sake, we won't read it, but I want to remind you that in John chapter 4, he meets that woman sitting at a well looking for water. And he says to her, if you knew who it was sitting with me, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. Remember her words? Give me this water so I don't have to come all the way out here to drink again. What did she want? Jesus to heal, to fix her physical circumstances. The suffering, the trial, uh, uh, the tribulation of walking all the way out to that well every day. And when he said, go get your husband and I'll give you this water. She said, I don't have a husband. Remember his words? You've said rightly because you've had what? Five. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. What did he do with one statement? He opened up this woman's life to show that she had been going from human relationship to human relationship to human relationship, trying to find wholeness and fulfillment, never finding it. Remember this? After she realized that she could see, he could see right through her, she says, listen, I see you're a prophet. Do we find God at the temple or on Mount Gerizim, remember? The Samaritans weren't allowed in the temple. They were considered half-breeds. They weren't allowed to be there. So they set their own temple up on Mount Gerizim. And she's saying this, to get close to God, where do I go? Over there or over here? What was Jesus' answer? Neither. Because if you want to find God, it's not found in a location. It's found in spirit and truth. What was he encouraging her? She would never find wholeness in a human relationship. She'd never find satisfaction or even the glory of God in a location. She needed to go upstream to the source. Because there and only then would she find what she was looking for. Those springs of living water. What did we read in John chapter 7? Verse uh, 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And I wonder today how many, if you're like me, feel like they've become content or feel punished for drinking other people's bath water. The consequences of other people's things. Today, no excuse. Why? By his grace, you're being invited to go upstream. Whatever hurts, whatever hate, whatever failures, you can find by his faithfulness the ability to be what those who came before you have not been. To find and have what they could not obtain. To go where they could not go. Because he is gracious. And today, he sees you and he loves you. And wants to find you in that place. Never settling for less. No excuse for who's bathing in the water before you. Don't stop until you find the rock to which the water is 
pouring forth in all purity. Sometimes it's hard because I'll say this. As parents, we try and fail. We're always trying to save our kids from bathing in our bathwater, making the same bad decisions we did. Does that make sense? And sometimes we find it so hard when they have to go through the same mud puddle we did. As a parent, you want to save them from going through the same bad decisions, but to watch, to know that God is paying special attention today. Why? Because he's faithful, even when we are unfaithful. He has them in the palm of their hand, and today he's a God of great victory. And the defining value here is not as their father did. It's this. And he did not do as his father did, but tore down the Asherah poles, destroyed the idols. Perhaps today, if you're like me, the Lord is putting his finger upon your heart in areas that you've let lie around that have come from your forefathers. And it's time to take a stand, not just get bitter, not blame, not go backwards, but to go upstream, forwards. I was reminded this week in the book of Narnia, in that final chapter, in the last battle, as C.S. Lewis wrote, and as the old Narnia is given away and a new Narnia has come, they find themselves running up a hill. And I don't know if you've read it or can recall it, but there's a moment in which every time they stop, these words, come further on, come further up. Come further up, come further in. And they stop and begin to eat pears. And he says, the most juicy pear in our world tastes woody and rotten compared to this pear. And yet then the voice came, come further on and further up. That's the invitation today. Don't stop. Further on, further up, further in. Never stopping till we find the source of righteousness that is our life and our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that today we are not defined by what has come before us, but by your grace, where we are weak, you are strong. Where today, where we see things in the world around us, today you are the victory that we desire. I pray, Lord, today that as you put your finger upon our hearts and those areas in which today perhaps we feel like we have suffered, thank you that today you have chosen to visit us, pay special attention, that today you will make right what has been wrong, that if we would put our faith and trust in you, you would make us into what we cannot be, not defined by what we were or have been, but where you're going. Thank you. That when we get to heaven, Lord, the question is not going to be, what did you do? But who are you related to? And we today are related children of a heavenly father by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ saved. Today, may we go from this place 
Not just asking, but expecting victory where there has been none. Not asking for you to go with us, but saying thank you and expecting that you are going with us, that you have gone before us, and that today you can be what we cannot be. You can do what we cannot do. As weak vessels, you've chosen to put your incredible glory so that the world might see today your heavenly way. Not heaven one day, but a quality of life here, now, today, that we might walk in you. Today, we may we not settle for excuses, grow bitter, but go on in you to become better. Never settling for less than the life you have to offer. Can only give out of what we've received. And today, I pray as we go, we'd be those who walk absorbing in your abundant love and care, kindness, patience, peace, that the world might see you and your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Steve. I'm going to turn this over to Tegan for a second, but I just want to invite you. I know a lot of us feel that weight of generational sin that's in our lives, that, that those sins of our fathers and our mothers have been passed on to us, or the concern of passing on those sins to future generations, to your children and your grandchildren. Let me invite you, if, if that's something that, that the Lord has put on your heart, if that's something that you're struggling with today, don't leave here today carrying that weight anymore. I'd invite you to come talk to me, talk with Steve. Graham and Shirley would love to pray with you. I know Ingrid uh, and Jack would love to pray with you. If there's, or maybe there's somebody that you feel comfortable with going and talking to and, and asking for prayer, um, that the Lord would break those, um, those, those trends, those, those sins, those patterns that are in your life, that you can be set free and, and, and indeed go in further to the very source of, of living water. Don't go here today carrying that weight anymore. You can be set free today, and the Lord wants to help you with that.